Yeah, please do uh, take time. I, I know maybe you feel awkward in the middle of service coming up and uh, greeting them. So yeah, please do take time to uh, say a prayer for them and uh, uh, encourage them on your way uh, on your way out of service today. Um, again, want to thank you and, and welcome you if you came in after our initial greeting, after our initial welcoming. Uh, thanks for being the church and for bringing it uh, into this room here. We are the church, and this is what God has called us to do, and so uh, it's a great blessing. Um, next Sunday, we'll be having uh, one of our membership welcoming ceremonies, uh, induction services, where uh, people who have been baptized and confirmed already are committing themselves to this local church called Harvest as um, they covenant to membership and to walk with us in order to uh, continue to make uh, the dreams that God has given to us to glorify His name by equipping Christ-centered leaders to transform the world, to make that a reality through their lives. So uh, that'll take place next week. Uh, again, welcome for those who are, uh, came in online and are worshiping with us a little bit late. Uh, I want to throw out a, a pretty non-spiritual question for us to start with. Maybe in your families or in your clusters you can talk about if you're worshiping online, you can chat this uh, answer to this question. But I want to get us thinking about a certain thing. If you can uh, talk about, text in your message box or talk about with one another, what is your favorite scary movie? Okay, what's your favorite scary movie? Can you talk about that with someone for about 10 seconds, 15 seconds? Uh, introduce yourself to somebody you don't know, 15 seconds. Favorite scary movie? <clears throat> the Lee family here doesn't watch scary movies, <laughs> no scary movies. Uh, the Terrells have a lot to talk about. This is awesome. Good. When it comes to scary movies, um, if you haven't seen it, <clears throat> I will kind of uh, give you the spoiler in every single one. A lot of movies are scary. Um, I, I, I think if you ask different people, hey, what's your, you know, what's your favorite scary movie? What's your idea of a scary movie? Uh, for our children, uh, our kids, Elise thinks the movie Home Alone is a scary movie because the bad guys in that movie scare her. So if you ask her what's her favorite, what's a scary movie she's seen, she would say Home Alone is a scary movie. But um, the genre of scary movies, uh, there's a particular, particular genre, kind of like romantic comedy or thriller. There's a genre called scary movie that if you were to Google uh, what makes up a scary movie, you might find that there are at least two things that make a scary movie. Number one, there is a person, place, or thing, a noun that is scary in a scary movie. It might be like an alien. It might be a, a, a hitchhiker. It might be someone who, who knocks at your door. It might be, I don't know what it is, but a, a haunted house that you go into. But there's always something scary. And the other thing that makes up a scary movie is that there are either one or usually a bunch of people who do really stupid things. That's what makes up a scary movie. And if you, you could find all of these online tropes about scary movies, then you would find them. But in almost every scary movie, there's uh, some kind of uh, the, that person, place, or scary thing is chasing after someone, and they've got to get away, right? They've got to get away. And one of the things that always happens is that people, as they're running or walking or trying to get away, they forget how to run. <laughs> they forget how to run. They trip over like invisible things that they've never tripped on before, or they trip on a branch that they've walked that road a million times, but they somehow trip and fall because for some reason, that's what happens in scary movies. You get into a car and all you need to do is put the key in and turn the ignition and then you drive off, but they start shaking like crazy right when they get into the car and their only hope of getaway is to, is to get in and start the engine and drive off. But a lot of times they forget how to do that. 
Once the car gets going, though, in some of these movies, like, oh, that's too predictable, and so in some of these movies, they actually get the car started, then what ends up happening is that as they're driving off, they think they're safe from harm, but they forget to check in the back seat, which is where the bad guy was hiding, and then it's, it's the end for them. A lot of crazy things happen, but a lot of crazy things happen because they're silly and stupid choices that are made by the people in the movie. When it comes to hiding, you know there are certain places that you never hide in a scary movie. Never in a closet because there's a dead end. Never under the bed because you're a goner. Never in a shower, but they always seem to end up hiding in those places. If they happen to find the perfect hiding spot, like an attic that no one knows about, or a secret door that you can hide in, uh, get into, the person has gone and they've left, and then all of a sudden they breathe the loudest sigh of relief, and then when they do that, the bad guy says, oh, they must be here, and they catch him, and they're in big trouble. A lot of silly things that people do, right? This is what scary movies are predicated upon. You look at people who, uh, the characters that make up the cast or the, uh, the, the cast of characters in a scary movie, and you realize, you know what, those guys are just not very smart. Whenever you hear a scary noise in the basement, lightning goes off and the power goes out in the house, who do you send down there? You don't send the strongest, smartest person. You send the most weakest and vulnerable person. Usually like a little girl goes down there with her little candle that gets blown out in the wind and then it's curtains for her. These are the things that make up a scary movie. I want to ask you another question then. Of all the bad choices that you see in scary movies, all the stupid choices that have been made, do you ever feel like your life <laughs> is a scary movie? You ever look back at your life and say, oh my gosh, look at these choices that I've made. If I could tell my younger self these things, I would tell them definitely not that. Don't go there. Don't date this person. Don't do this thing. You ever feel like your life is a scary movie, a series of bad choices one after another? There's a book of the Bible that was written in order to help you navigate through your life in order that your life would not be like a scary movie. It is called the book of Proverbs, and that's what we're going to look at over the next eight weeks. We're going to look today at Proverbs chapter 1. I want to introduce this. What we're going to do as we go through the book of Proverbs is we're going to look at different themes that Proverbs highlights, and there are certain dangers and certain pitfalls and certain uh, uh, teachings that uh, Proverbs gives to us in order that we might avoid the bad choices that we sometimes make in this life. And so today what I want to do is just give an introduction, very simple, and the three questions, three questions that I want to ask of the text and three questions that I want to bring out here. Why is it important? Why are we studying this? Why is this necessary? Why are the Proverbs written? That's number one. The second question is, what is a proverb? Because if we're going to read them and try to understand them, we have to know what they are and what they're not. And I think a lot of us have a misunderstanding of what they are and therefore a disappointment with what they do not do in our lives. And then the third thing is, who needs to hear this? For whom was Proverbs written and to whom was Proverbs given? Those are the three questions. Why, what, and who? Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. <clears throat> the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, 
Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This is God's Word. So why was Proverbs written? What are they and who are they for? Here's the first question. Why were they written? Okay. It says in, in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon known to be the wisest, one of the wisest people who ever lived. First Kings chapter 3, uh, he says, God, if you could give me one thing as a king, would you give me wisdom to lead your people? Give me wisdom so that I might rule your people in a just way. So God gave him wisdom, and some of this wisdom is recorded in the book of Proverbs. But why did he give it to him? It's because silly choices and bad choices and dumb choices don't just happen in movies, they happen in real life. Anyone make a choice this week that you felt like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that? Like, that was a bad choice. I, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? Why did I say it that way? Why did I say it at that time? Why didn't I wait? Ever make a dumb choice? There are, I, I know we're in the midst of this, this uh, strange season where if you're taking classes right now, if you're a middle school, high school, college student, uh, either your classes are grad student, either your classes are uh, in person or they're online or some kind of a hybrid between the two. But a lot of us are taking online classes right now. And I know it's been challenging. It's been challenging for teachers, been challenging for parents, but I know it's challenging for kids also. The first week of school, um, Elijah, our third grader, was in uh, virtual school on his computer. And as he's taking classes at the beginning of one morning, at the start of one morning, the teacher was talking and this one classmate of his in third grade, I forget his name, but he said, Miss Johnson, he's uh, kind of like whining, Miss Johnson, and she's like, yes, and says his name, and he says, I have a tummy ache, I have a tummy ache, and she's like, oh no, oh no, why do you have a tummy ache? And he said, I think it's because I'm drinking coffee. <laughs> And she has this, like, she gasps slightly, and then there, it, it's quiet for about two seconds, and she says, uh, have you been drinking coffee? And he puts his head down, and he's, like, moaning, and he's like, yeah, and he holds up this big old bottle of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And he's like, yeah, and he holds up the coffee. And I was, at this point, as, as he said, I have a tummy ache, I just wanted to hear what she would say. I came over, and I was watching over Elijah's so shoulder, and I saw this kid with a bottle of Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And I was like, that's not a good choice. That's not a good choice that you're making. You probably have a stomach ache because you're not supposed to be drinking that. But, but silly choices, unwise choices, are not relegated to scary movies or to third graders. We make them also, don't we? Like, we make a lot of silly choices. The book of Proverbs was written in order that we would avoid these kinds of mistakes. Solomon writing wisdom. Why? Verse 2, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Guys, here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, listen, I understand that life is not easy. Life in our world is difficult. It's challenging. There are pitfalls. There are things that, we tri that trip us up. But there is a word for a kind of person who does well at life even in the midst of these challenges. You know what that word is? In English, the way that the Bible translated is wisdom. Wisdom is the art and skill and knowledge of living 
well in this world. The title of the sermon is something like how to be awesome at life. The biblical definition of the word we call wisdom is being awesome at life. I want to teach you a, a word because this is... in. in when you try to translate certain words from one language to another, it oftentimes doesn't communicate. You understand that, right? Like when uh, certain words in your native tongue, you try to figure out what does it mean in English, it doesn't necessarily come over right. Here's the word in Hebrew. I want you to repeat this word after me. Can you repeat this word? Chokmah. Very good. One more time. Chokmah. Very good. So this is the word that we translate, our English Bibles translate into wisdom, okay? When we think, here's the problem, when we think of the word wisdom, we usually think of someone who knows the right things to say. Oh my gosh, that's like the perfect quote for me to hear. Or this person like Yoda who says these wise and sage sayings at the appropriate time. That's oftentimes what we think wisdom is. But in the biblical word chokmah, uh, that does not begin to communicate or does not fully communicate the essence of the word. Okay, the word, he, he says here, for understanding words of insight, so there's a mental aspect to it, but also for a, acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. In other words, there's both a mental and a moral component to wisdom. What is he saying then? Wisdom, according to Scripture, is not only knowing what to do, but doing those things well. So here, when the Bible would talk about this, this idea of chokmah, the way it would use it is if you have knowledge and skill in any area, then you are considered to have chokmah in that area. So here's what that means. If you're really good at knitting things together, they say, wow, that is a person who is skilled. That's a person with that person is wise. They know how to do it, and they're skilled at doing it. That's a wise person. In any area of life, if you can write really well, if you can speak really well, if you could sing really well, they would say you have wisdom in those areas. If you're really good at dancing, the renegade, or if you're really good at whatever the new dance is these days, if you're really good at playing uh, Animal Crossing, they would say you have wisdom, you are wise in that area. Here's what the book of Proverbs is written for then, so that you would be wise not in a particular area, but that you would be wise in all of life. In other words, the book of Proverbs was written not so that you would be wise in music or wise in art or wise in communication. It was written so that you would be wise in everything, so that you would be excellent at life. Have you seen people Maybe people that you don't like, maybe they're your enemies, but you would look at them and you would say, you know what, they're just, that person is not good at life. The biblical definition for people like that is these are people who are unwise. Wisdom is the opposite. It's, man, that person knows what to do in any and every situation, and they're doing it. Don't you wish you had the skill of being able to do all of life right? Like, what do I say to this person? How do I say this to that person? When should I say it? Because here's a, here's a challenge, guys, is a lot of us are being, are being hurt. We're, being, we're falling into 
sinful temptations because we're not living in wisdom when it comes to the kind of music that we listen to. Okay, if, if, the, if the music that's coming into your head is always Cardi B and some of her stuff, guys, that's not wise as a child of God. That is some filthy, dirty stuff. And as parents, we need to, we, you have to understand, you have to hear what your children are listening to, what your students are listening to, because the music and the media and the movies and the shows on Netflix are a mirror of our culture, yes, but they're also a map of our children's minds. They're leading us to a certain place. We have to be discerning. We have to be wise. And some of our people are making awful choices because we're not living in wisdom in these areas. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, what decisions, how you make your decisions, what you base those on, where a lot of us are being crippled in, this, in the area of life because we're not living in the wisdom that God has given to us. The first thing that we have to understand is why Proverbs were written. I want to build a case for why we need to study these words and why we need to engage in them. Here's my hope, guys. At the end of our time, this is what I want. There are 31 Proverbs, 31 chapters of Proverbs. And as we get to the end of this month, when we start September on Tuesday, my hope, my aim, my goal, my prayer is that every one of us would say, you know what, I need this wisdom. And so here's my commitment. Every day of September, I'm going to read one chapter of Proverbs each day, and I'm going to work this into my heart. I'm going to do this with my wife, my, my children, my family. I'm going to do this with my house church, and we're going to grow in wisdom so that we can be better at this thing called life. Amen? Come on. Don't make foolish choices. That's my aim. That's my goal. That's my desire. That's my longing that we would be wise and grow in wisdom together. That's the first thing, why? The second thing, what are the Proverbs? What are Proverbs? We have to understand it. If we're going to be able to read this together, you have to understand what the Proverbs are. Solomon says in verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Typically, we think of Proverbs, and you know what Proverbs are, even if you've never set foot in a church before. You'll know something, you'll hear things like, a stitch in time saves nine. Right? If you stitch it before it gets worse, you'll save nine stitches later. That's what it's saying. It's a proverb. It's short. It's pithy. It's evocative. There's imagery that communicates a point, a principle in life. If you understand what proverbs are, there are maxims and proverbs in, in every country, in every culture, in every language we have them. The Bible has them also. But what are they and how are we to understand them? Let me, let me just distinguish between three different kinds of statements in Scripture. Okay. The first kind of statement, and we're probably familiar with these, uh, there are commands, right? God gives commands all the time. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, that's a command. It's universally binding. We ought to obey the commands of God at all times. What does God require of us? To love, uh, to love mercy, to do justice, uh, uh, to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That's what God wants from us. These are commands that we're called to do because if we do them, this is how we honor God. This is the first thing. The second kind of statement we see in Scripture, these are promises. Okay? They're promises that God gives to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay? This is universally true. God will not change in these ways. Call to me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and unsearchable things you did not know. Ask of me and I'll ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. These are promises that God gives to us that we need to claim and take hold of. 
But the third kind of statement is a proverb, which is different from both of these. Proverbs, if I can be frank with you, are not promises. Some people have seen Proverbs to be promises, and when God hasn't seemed to pull through in them, uh, people have gotten upset and said, God isn't real, God's not there. Proverbs are not promises. There's a proverb that says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and he will not depart from it. There have been many parents that have trained up their child seemingly in the way that they ought to go, but they have departed from it. What does that mean? Has God been unfaithful to his word? See, Proverbs are not promises. You have to understand this. Okay? They are observations about the way that life ought to be. Okay? They are principles They are not promises. And wisdom means being able to know the right proverb to be given to the right person in the right situation at the right time for the right purpose. This is wisdom. It's not enough to simply know. It's not enough to simply know the proverb. In fact, Proverbs itself tells us that there's danger. In Proverbs 26.4, it says, A proverb in the mouth of a fool is like the leg of a lame person. In other words, it's not good for you or useful. In the next verse, it tells us that a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like a thorn bush, like a bush with thorns, a deadly thorn bush in the life of, in the hands of a drunkard. Not only is a proverb knowing something, knowing the right thing, not only is it useless if you have no intent to live it out, it's also dangerous. Because proverbs were not meant to be universally applied in every situation. Think about this, okay, think about this. You see some people hanging out together, so a bunch of sixth graders hang out together, and you say, oh, these sixth graders always move around, like they're so cute, they're like little penguins marching around everywhere, and then you would say something like this, you would say, right, oh, why do, the, why do they always hang out with each other? And someone else would say, you know why, here's why, because birds of a feather flock together. That's true, right? Like sixth graders love hanging out with each other. People of house churches like hanging out together. You know, you like hanging out with certain people who have uh, something in common with you. Well, then another day you might see a sixth grader hanging out with a 12th grader doing like some mentorship or discipleship or whatnot. And you're like, oh my gosh, I would never imagine a sixth grader and 12th grader to be hanging out together. And someone would reply, why not? Don't you know? Opposites attract, right? So which is true? Do birds of a feather flock together? Or do opposites attract? Well, they're both true. They're both true depending on the situation. Oh my gosh, hey, it's been, it's been a long time. Some, some, some of you are here for the first time in about five months. We haven't seen some of you. Oh, it's so good to see you give each other an air hug or something like that. You're like, yeah, you know what? I really missed you. Why did you miss them? Oh, because absence makes the heart grow fonder. Oh, I love you more than I did five months ago. And then there's another person who says, really? I don't really miss them. Why? Because out of sight, out of mind. Well, which is true? Well, they're both true. It's just true in different ways. And just because the Bible has Proverbs doesn't mean that they are universally true or universally to be applied in every situation. Let me give you an example. Proverbs chapter 26. Can you 
you can turn to Proverbs 26. This is helpful. This is important in this day of cancel culture, in this season where we have an election coming up and there's all kinds of stuff that's being talked about. Even during this pandemic, different people have different views about masks, about vaccinations. There's one study that said like, if a vaccine for COVID-19 were, were to come out, 70, no, 30% of people said, I'm not getting vaccinated for it. You can have your own views on that. But listen, this is what it says in Proverbs 26. Um, earlier, the verses I was quoting were actually verses 7 and verse 9, uh, like a, a proverb in the mouth of a fool um, is like a lame man's leg or a thorn bush. Proverbs 26, verse 4 and 5, this is huge, okay? This is important. What do you do, what do, you do when you see someone, this troll online, and they're, they're, they're saying all this nonsense, especially on your feed after you posted something and they're being foolish? Verse, chapter 26, verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. People say that, don't they? When you start responding to the people who are just posting all these like strange and, and, and silly comments on your feed, uh, on, your, on your, you know, whatever, I don't know what social media you use, but you, you post something and then people are, are challenging and, and just uh, playing devil's advocate and picking a fight. And they say, oh, don't bother, don't bother. They're not worth your time. In a sense, that's what Proverbs is saying. Not because they're not worth the time, but because if you answer them according to their folly, here's what it's saying is going to happen. You're going to become a fool like them. Well, that's pretty good to know. What should I do in this situation? Well, I'm not going to answer them. But then as you keep on reading the very next verse, look at what it says. Answer a fool according to its folly. Hold on, that's the exact opposite of what it says in verse 4. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. What are we supposed to do? Okay, someone's been uh, acting a fool, what do you do? Do you answer them and correct them for fear of becoming a fool yourself, or do you answer them and correct them because you know that it will keep them from becoming wise in their own eyes? What do you do? It's very interesting, right? Here's what you have to know. Proverbs are not promises. They're not commands, not all of them at least. Not to be universally applied in every situation. Here's the answer to your question. Do you answer them or do you not? It depends on what kind of a fool they are. If they are a fool who's willing to listen and be corrected, then answer them according to their folly so that they will not be wise in their own eyes in their foolishness. But if they're not willing to listen, if they're only picking a fight just to pick a fight, if they have no intention of being open-minded to what you have to say, then don't bother. That's what he's saying. Here, then, is how you understand what wisdom is in a biblical level. It's not just knowing, right? Someone can say to you, hey, don't bother. Don't answer a fool according to their folly. Someone else will say, answer a fool according to their folly. It's not in the knowing. That's not wisdom. That's not chokmah. That's not what the Bible talks about. Wisdom in the Bible is knowing the right thing to apply to the right person in the right situation at the right time. That's what wisdom is. Do you confront them? Of course you have to confront somebody in sin, but when and how you do that, this is wisdom. So how do you know? How do you grow? How do you become a person of wisdom? That's what Proverbs says. 
You don't know the right thing if you don't read the Word of God and start in Proverbs. That's why the challenge for 31 days, for 30 days is let's get into this. Let's start here because that's where it begins. And as you read them, you will begin to grow, okay? James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without judging anyone for their lack of wisdom. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the Proverbs and we're going to ask God for wisdom because in getting this into your mind and coursing through your morality, then by observing life, this is what the Koreans call nunchi, understanding situations and circumstances, being instructed by those who know this is why you need to listen to the wisdom of those who've gone before you. This is why sixth graders, 10th graders, you need to ask and, and listen to your leaders, your parents, your teachers, your pastors, because there's a wisdom that they understand in having navigated through the pitfalls of life. In making mistakes and learning from the mistakes of other people, every fool fails to learn from the mistakes of other people. Normal people learn from their own mistakes, but the truly wise are able to learn from the mistakes of other people. Learning and seeing, instead of saying, I want to find out for myself that this is really true, learn from the wisdom of others. And through the revelation of God, we grow to become wise. This is what it means to be a person of biblical wisdom, and this is the gift of the book of Proverbs. Why is it written? So that we'd be awesome at life. What are they? They're not promises. They're Proverbs. They're general principles to be applied through wisdom, right person, right time, right situation, right circumstances. But who needs to know this, right? Who needs to read this? Who needs to go through this 30-day, 31-day challenge? Well, the obvious answer is everybody. But the specific answer, you know what it says in verse, uh, verses 4 and 5? It says, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. So two kinds of people, two categories of people in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The first category is the, is the simple, it's the young people, okay? If you think you're young today, okay, right, some of, some of you say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm 40 years young. If you're young, then you need the book of Proverbs, okay? Whatever you deem and whatever you think youngness to be. In the Bible, there were two categories of people. There were children, and then there were adults. <laughs> there was no such thing as teenagers in those days. That wasn't a category. That's why people say the Virgin Mary was like probably 12 or 13 or 14 years old. You go from children to adults, bam, that's it, okay? That's why people got married when they were 13, 14, 15 years old in Scripture. There was not this period called adolescence that we talk about now, this long period of time where you learn how to play video games and you learn how to do all these things and go to the single seat. It wasn't anything like that. You go from children to adults, and you can become one of two kinds of adults. You can be a wise adult or you can be a foolish adult, and the one thing that makes a difference are the choices that you make. And that's why when the Proverbs, book of Proverbs, talks about the simple, talk about the young, the picture is we're like clay, moldable, malleable clay, like uh, pavement that, the, 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 that's still wet and you can still write on it. That's the heart of a young person. Saying if you're young, 
impressionable. You need the book of Proverbs so that you can make the right choices in life. Proverbs always talks about two major themes, the restlessness of youth, my desire to break out of my parents' home, my desire to go and live life on my own, but the book of Proverbs warns against that. It says you need the wisdom of those who are older. You need the guidance of those who've gone before you. The second temptation and the pitfall of youthfulness is in sexual impropriety. Constantly there, attacking and assailing. Listen, guys, I know some of us are young, but you need to understand, you've been through sex education, I know that. Whoever teaches about sexuality first is going to be the first ones to shape and form the minds of our young people. Okay. We need to do that. We need to do that. Young people need the book of Proverbs in order that they would grow well in the way that is right. But the second group of person in verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning and the, dis and the discerning uh, grow in guidance. If you think you're wise, I don't feel like I'm young anymore. I think I'm wise. If you're wise, you need the book of Proverbs so that you can add to your wisdom so that you could grow in God, because even older people, wise people make mistakes sometimes, don't they? If you think that you've graduated from the school of wisdom, can I tell you something? If you think you've graduated from the school of wisdom, then you've just lost your diploma. I don't need to learn anymore. I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm 60, I've got grandkids, I don't need to learn wisdom anymore. He says, listen, if you think you've graduated, you've already handed back your diploma. You've got to go back to the beginning. Let the wise okay, add to their learning and the discerning grow in their guidance. In other words, who needs Proverbs? Everyone does, but there's a third, there, there's a third person. And I want to speak specifically to the men of God in our congregation. Okay, this is Solomon writing, and the book of Proverbs written mainly as a father, sometimes as a mother, but as a father, teaching his children in the ways of wisdom. A father teaching children in the ways of wisdom. We need to reclaim this role as men of faith in our culture, in our generation, in our church. It's great and it's fine and there's nothing wrong with women leading as spiritual leaders, but men of faith need to rise up because that's the way it was in Scripture. Think about many of our testimonies. Many of our testimonies, it's the faith of our mothers. It's the prayers of our mothers. It's the reading of the Bible of our mothers, which is fine and great. I'm not saying if it's either or. I'm not saying that. It's got to be both and, but a lot of times the men of God in the church have made it either or, and I'll let the women do it. That's not the way it was in Scripture. It's we're working together. Men of God, fathers, husbands, we need to rise up in our understanding of wisdom that we might lead our families well. Don't outsource the spiritual lives of our children, of the generations that come to the women of the church alone. This is our responsibility as much as it is anybody else's. And so Solomon is writing to the men of God in here saying, rise up as champions of the faith to lead your families well. Who needs Proverbs? Everybody does. Who can benefit from it? Everyone can. Actually, Proverbs says there's one person who cannot benefit from the book of Proverbs. 
There's one person who cannot become wise. Who is that? It's a person that the Bible calls the fool. It says, I feel sad for the fool. What is a fool? Well, there's two things that characterize a fool here. Look at what it says. At the end of verse 7, it says, fools despise wisdom and discipline. Here's what it means to be a fool. Okay, let me ask you. Okay, are you, you might not think you're a fool, but according to a biblical definition, are you acting the fool? Here's how you know. One, you don't know everything there is to know. 1A, 1B, and here's the other part, is the other part is you don't care to know. You don't want to know. If you're wrong, you don't want to be corrected. I remember talking to uh, someone who's a leader of a church, 70-year-old leader of a church, and they said, college students these days, when I correct them, they either get angry, they get bitter, or they get defensive. In Korean, they get bijasa, right? We get upset when we get called out. When you get called out on your sin, on your foolishness, on your bad decision, how do you respond to it? The wise respond in humility. The foolish are defensive and push back. The first thing about a fool is they don't know what's right, and number two, they don't want to know. There's nothing wrong with not knowing as long as we're teachable about it. A fool says, I don't know, and I don't care to know. I don't want to know what you have to say. I'm going to continue living life in this way. But the second thing about a fool is that they ignore God and the knowledge of God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Why is that? Why is that? Because it says in Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because if you don't know God, then you have not taken the first step onto the ladder of wisdom. Because wisdom and the source of wisdom is God himself. There's a way that seems right to a person, Proverbs 14, 12 says, but in the end it leads to death. Why? Because the wisdom that rules the world, the principles that govern life in our universe are not found by scholars but are revealed by God, by revelation. That's why it's only in understanding the wisdom of God and having a relationship with Him can we surrender to Him in order that we can actually live in the wisdom that God has written for us in this world. In other words, what good is it for you to know all the quotes and all the statements and all the things that you ought to know in life according to what the world says you need to be wise? What good is it to know all that stuff, to have all the degrees, to have the Ivy League certificates hanging up on your window, but to not know God? Spending time in Virginia, um, I spent time with one of my closest friends up there. Um, his wife of, uh, I think they've been married like 17 years, so she's about 45. Um, she has been given, a few months ago, she's been given a, a cancer diagnosis, and I, I've talked about this um, maybe once or twice, um, but she's been given a cancer diagnosis, and they went to a bunch of different doctors. They went to like Johns Hopkins. They went to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. They went to Sloan uh, Kettering up in, up in New York, different places, and they got all of these opinions. Uh, 
she went to Yale uh, University, had some uh, friends who graduated from Yale who are now practicing oncology, uh, and all these doctors came out and they said the same thing. Okay, they said, we're going to do whatever we can, um, but you need to start getting all of your affairs in order because you have anywhere from probably about six months uh, to two years, uh, two years left, is what they said to her. And so uh, for my friend, um, obviously dealing with the fact, and you know, we, we spent some time a couple weeks back, and he's saying, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard for her to think about. It's uh, leaving her two sons, and um, she knows she's going to heaven. She loves the Lord. She's got that, but um, she worries about, you know, missing out on, like, not seeing the boys get married, not seeing, you know, that, that her husband, my, my friend, was saying, basically, we're not going to grow old together. We're not going to have uh, memories beyond the age of uh, 50 and, and things like that. And as he was talking, he said, you know, hardest thing was uh, having to, you know, tell the kids um, of what's going on. He said the other thing was, you know, he had to go and he had to tell his in-laws, his in-laws who um, don't, don't know Jesus and have, uh, have not, and that's a big prayer that we're praying is that uh, her family would come to know Jesus through this. Um, highly educated in Korea, just well-educated, all the... You know, been there, done that. And as uh, my friend is explaining, um, said, well, the, 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 the parents are saying, well, you know, cancer these days, uh, medical advances have come a long way since the time we were your age, be okay. And my friend was saying, uh, yeah, it's not, that's not, this has metastasized, it's far along, uh, at, at, most, it's, at most it's two years. And these educated folks who raised a Yale-educated daughter who are getting advice from the major institutions who have been researching and giving their lives to these things. At the end of it all, their response in shock and heartbreak is, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. They just repeated that over and over and over again. Can I ask you a question? What good is all the learning, all the wisdom, all the knowledge in the world if at the end of it all, that's what we say? There's nothing we can do. What good is all of that? What good is it for you to have all of the degrees and have everything that the world says you need to have in order to be awesome at life when at the end of it all, we're all going to end up in the same place? We're all going to end up in the same place. There's, you're right, there's nothing we can do about that. 100% of the people who've ever been born in this world will ultimately die. What good is it to have all the wisdom in the world and to end up in a grave? My friend was saying, there is more that we can do. There is more that we can do. That's why we pray. That's why we trust God. We are praying for God's healing either by medicine or, or by miracle. But even if God doesn't, then my wife has peace that at the end of her days on earth, she will be in a place where there's no more suffering, no more sickness, no more illness, no more disease, no more heartbreak. That's the hope. That's why he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning point of wisdom. You don't need to know all of that other stuff if you know and have a right relationship with God. This is where it begins. This is where it starts. This is where the truly wise begin to find this is wisdom, and this is what it means to live in this place. Jesus 
Christ was the only person, the only person you could ever look at and say, you know what, that guy, he did it right. He never made any bad choices. He was awesome at life. He was awesome at life because we didn't know how to do it. Jesus came and he did it. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the heavens. Lord, we lift your name on high. This is where wisdom begins. This is where it starts. Jesus lived that life of wisdom for us to see what it was like, saying the right thing at the right time, not saying the right thing, not saying the wrong thing, but giving everything to the right person, each person contextually different in the way that he spoke and ministered to them. And his reward at the end of that perfectly lived life was this, in a cosmic reversal. He says, I gained all of the blessedness of a life of wisdom, but I will trade that and I will take upon myself all the consequences of every bad choice that every one of us has made. Jesus took upon himself the death that we deserve because of our foolish choices, because we've done things far worse than drinking coffee in the third grade. We've done so many worse things, and it ultimately led not to our life, but to what was amounted to our death. But at the cross, Jesus took our place and he said, here, if you trust in me, if you trust in me, I will give you the reward. He said, I came that I might give you life and give it to you in abundance. I will take your punishment for all of your wrong choices, for all of your bad choices upon myself. And at the cross, Jesus died. And he opened his arms wide open to wisdom, to life, that you might become awesome at life by putting your trust in him. Here then is the invitation of Proverbs. And here's what I'm inviting you to. Here's what I believe the Lord is inviting us to. Tomorrow you get a day off to get your stuff ready. Maybe read through the gospel project, the Bible project, read an overview of Proverbs. And then on Tuesday, we start reading through the book of Proverbs and we start to grow in our wisdom. What Jesus invites us to in the book of Proverbs then is not only an invitation to knowledge and understanding and insight, it's an invitation into intimacy with our Father. That's what he wants us to have. A right relationship with God is what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. He holds that out to us, and he says, anyone, anyone can have this kind of a life. Doesn't matter if you're in school. Doesn't matter if you have a degree. Doesn't matter if you do or don't. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. If you're born in the country, you're born in the city. Doesn't matter where you grew up or what your circumstances are. His word, these Proverbs, give insight to the simple and wisdom to the young. This is our inheritance given to us. I invite you to walk with me on this journey together. Let's pray. Let's pray, let's ask the Lord that he would help us as we go through life, a generation-defining election coming up. So many areas of our lives where we need wisdom. Children need wisdom to choose the right friends, to choose the right career path. Parents need wisdom to know how to parent and how to discipline in wisdom. College students need wisdom in what to study and whether to go to grad school or take a job. Uh, working people need wisdom in what city to live in and which job to take. We need wisdom. But God says, I'll give it to you if you want it. All you need to do is ask and then study the Word of God. There's an invitation 
to being awesome at life through intimacy with God that is given to you and is given to me. Let's grab a hold of it. Let's say, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need you. Lord, I need you. Help me to walk with you in this journey. Help me to walk with our church in this journey, diving deep into the heart of God towards wisdom. Let's pray together. Can we do that? Let's pray together and ask the Lord, open my heart. Give me teachability that I might grow in wisdom, not only in knowing, but in living skillfully in this world. Let's pray for half a minute, 45 seconds, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll uh, conclude our service with response. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom of God revealed in Scripture, the wisdom of God revealed in the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ, who lived a life of wisdom and traded its blessings for the curse of the fool in order that we who were fools could receive the blessing of the blessed one. Oh, how we need you. Lord, how we need you. As we journey in faith this week, Lord, may we be hungry for the wisdom of God in Proverbs. May we be hungry for an encounter with the one who embodies wisdom, Jesus. Lord, make us hungry for you. We thank you. We love you. We need you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.